All right. Uh, before jumping into the passage this morning, let's start with our young ones. We do this every Sunday. We start with our young ones. I'm going to tell you what the passage is going to be about and then what the sermon is going to be about, okay? So yesterday morning, uh, we went to, we had a soccer game. So we go out to this soccer field and it's not one soccer field. There are like 12 soccer fields out there and there's a baseball field out there. The whole thing was covered in fog. So kids, you know what fog is, right? Uh, imagine, imagine seven city blocks like covered in fog that's like a hundred feet deep. So imagine like a really, really thick fog. Okay, did you know that a fog that big is made up of less than one glass of water that's divided up into like 60,000 million drops? There's not much there in that fog, less than the water that's in this thing. And yet, a fog like that it can shut down an, an entire city. Okay, that is what worry is like. Our worry is, 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 that's what it's like when you're anxious and when you're worried. There's actually not much to our worry. Like we worry about, we worry about stuff that might happen to us, most of which will never happen to us. Uh, we worry about things that have happened in the past, things that we can't change, and we worry about that stuff. And we, we, we'll worry about things like uh, other people and what they might be saying about us. And mostly, mostly the bad stuff that they're saying about it, mostly it's not true. But we worry. And worry like that, like there's not much to our worry, but that worry, it can shut us down. And here's what Jesus is going to tell us today about worry. In the Sermon on the Mount, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus tells us that we actually don't have to worry. And there's, this is why. You don't have to worry because God actually really, really knows what you need. He knows what you need today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day. He knows exactly what you need. And it's not just that he knows what you need. He's in control of everything in your life. So he knows what you need, and he's totally in control and has power to, to, about your needs. And, and, this is the best part, he says he's your father. You're his child, and he loves you. That is such a great place to be that God knows what you need, he has the power to meet your needs, and he loves you so he can meet your needs. This is what, this is what Jesus is going to tell us today, why we don't need to worry. Now, one question right here. This is it. Kids, young ones, what do you think is your greatest need? We, and we can, we'll work through it. We can wrestle with stuff out loud. Just throw anything out there. What do you think is your greatest need? Jesus. Okay, why Jesus? Why do you need Jesus? Correct. <laughs> why do you need Jesus? What do you need from Jesus? His love. Why do you need him to love you? Come on, what do you think about your day today? What do you in your day tomorrow and your next day and your next day? What do you need more than anything? Jesus. Sticking to it. <laughs> Jesus. It's true. It's right. You need Jesus' love. And this is why. Because whatever, you, whatever happens to you today, or the next day, or the next day, or the next day, or the next day, what eventually is going to happen to you? One day. You live long enough. <laughs> at the end of that, you're going to die. And what you need more than anything, more than you need water, more than you need bread, you need the kingdom of God where you won't die, ever. You need to live forever. 
And to live forever, you need Jesus. And you need his love. And you need his grace. This is what Jesus is going to tell us today is that God knows exactly what you need. And so he sends his son to earth to, to overcome. He's totally in control. He comes to earth to live and to die, totally in control of his own death. He does it to overcome all the powers of evil and, and uh, to overcome your sin because he knows what you need. He knows you need to live forever and he knows what he needs to do in order for you to live forever. And he comes and he does it for you even though you don't deserve it because he loves you. Y'all, I know that sounds like such a churchy answer of like, what do you need? I need God. I need Jesus. I need heaven. Yeah, we're in church. Of course we're going to give the churchy answer, but it's true. Like, you're going to go about your day today, and you are going to worry. I promise you, you will worry about all kinds of stuff, and you need to come back to this of what you most need. You have it because of Jesus. This is what he's going to tell us today in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. That's where we are in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, which runs from Matthew 5 to Matthew 7. And we're in the command section of his sermon where he's giving these commands. He's giving them to the members of the church. Of like, you need to do this, you need to do this. And the passage that we're reading this morning begins with a therefore, which just means it's connected to what he just said in the last passage that we looked at last Sunday, and just a reminder, last Sunday in the previous passage, Jesus said you cannot love both money and God. And now what he's about to get into is, is he knows there's an objection to that kind of claim. You can't love money and God. And Because what we immediately start to struggle with is, okay, well, Jesus, you say the kingdom of God is at hand. Yeah, I heard that. Okay, but we're still here in this world. And in this world, you need money for food for clothing, for shelter, to pay bills. You, know, you need money to provide for your loved ones. You need money to provide for recreation because all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy and we go crazy. We need money to provide for our future. Uh, we need money to provide for our cities and our country. And if we're not focused on making money, how are we going to do this? Because what we can't do, Jesus, is just sit around and worship God like all day and just pray and sing songs all day. Like we've got to make that money. We've got to make that money in order to be generous to the church so the church can talk about God and, and uh, all this and, and to be generous to others. So, so Jesus knows this. Uh, the question, the objection of worrying about our own provision is what Jesus addresses now in this passage. Please stand for the reading of God's word, uh, beginning in verse 25. Uh, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. 
But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. So, slight shift here from material things that we want we want to enjoy, we, you know, talked about that last time, shift now from material things we want to enjoy to material things we just need to live, we need to survive. And that necessity, it can make us anxious. It can make us worry to the point where our needs and, and our problems, they, they look bigger than God. And so our faith looks little, O oh, you of little faith. So do not worry, Jesus says. And the funny thing about what Jesus says is you, you don't decide to worry. And if you don't decide, like it's not like this conscious thing of like, okay, now it's time to worry. Like you, you don't, if you don't decide to worry, how can you decide not to worry? If you don't decide to do something, how do you decide to not do the something that you didn't decide to do in the first place? How do, you do, how do you do the impossible? Well, the guy commanding the impossible is used to telling people to do the impossible. I mean, he tells a man who's been lame for 38 years to get up. Pick, up. pick up your mat and walk. He tells a little girl who has died, come back to life, get up. If this Jesus is the son of God, if he is God incarnate, uh, and if this God could speak the universe into existence, then he can speak a command to us and with the command bring a sovereign power to obey it. So we've got to start there. And he does not say don't worry about your needs as if, as if your needs weren't important. Like it's, it's not just that you think you need certain things. It's that God knows you need these things. And that in and of itself is a comfort to hear. Because we convince ourselves that we know what we need better than God knows what we need because, because it's just this knee-jerk reaction of, like, we're the ones facing what's in front of us today. Like, our needs are in our face. Who knows better than what I need than me? Because I see it. And we assume we know what's coming around the corner. That's the other part of it is I see what's in front of me, and I know what's coming around the corner today, tomorrow, the next day, five years from now. So I, I know what I need today and tomorrow and the next day and five years from now. But then we realize it's all too much, and so we worry. And the uh, French Renaissance philosopher uh, Michel de Montaigne, he once said, my life has been full of terrible misfortunes most of which never happened. It's us. But you don't have to worry because God does know what you need. Jesus says, verse 31, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly Father knows you need them all. There's a contrast there. Uh, he mentions the Greek, Roman, Gentiles, because their pagan gods were not omniscient. 
the Greeks and Romans, they did not believe that the, the gods that they believed in, they did not believe their gods were all-knowing. For, for the Greek and Roman Gentiles who did believe in gods, they believed their gods were really, really busy. Like, busy with their own stuff. Busy with big stuff. Too busy to be concerned with individual people. Like, and, and much less able to know the needs of every individual person. Jesus is saying, your Father in heaven is not like these Gentile pagan gods. Your Father in heaven is all-knowing. He is omniscient, fully aware of every single one of your needs, big and small. And not only does he know what you need, he's in total control. Here's the thing. If God was not in control of everything, then God knowing everything actually wouldn't be all that big of a help to us. But you don't have to worry because not only does God know your situation, he's in complete control of it. And again, there's another contrast here with the Gentile pagan gods. Because the traditional uh, Greeks, Romans uh, that believed in God, they believed in that stuff you've you know, heard about in Greek mythology, Zeus, Athena, Aphrodite, Apollo, uh, they, they believed in those gods. The traditional Greeks believed the stuff that you read about in Homer's The Iliad and, and The Odyssey. And what's really interesting is with all these gods and cosmic entities, you, you really can't tell who's steering the ship of history. I mean, go read The Iliad. I mean, that's the, like the whole story behind the scenes is who's really running the show here. There's Zeus and the gods, but then there's Zeus's daughter, Ruin. And there's fate. And, and at times it seems like Zeus overpowers all, but then at times ruin can actually entangle Zeus. Uh, and, and, and at times Zeus cannot overcome fate. And at times Zeus and fate work together. So the ancient Greeks did not know how it was all going to work out. They didn't know why things worked out the way they did. And then you move along just a little bit in church history, and there's the newer, more dominant schools of Greek philosophy that come about. Early church, the Epicureans and the Stoics. The Stoics were the fatalists. You know, they believed everything was, everything was fixed. It did not matter what you did. You cannot change your fate. But they did not believe, the Stoics did not believe in the traditional gods that the Greeks believed in. They believed in a, just a general, impersonal spirit out there. But on the other end of the spectrum, you had the Epicureans, and they believed that history was random. It was random, and it was up to you to determine your own destiny. They believed in distant gods who had no involvement or interest in life, and so your future was totally up to you and your choices. Stoics thought suffering, uh, it should just be embraced because it is what it is. Just accept it, while the Epicureans believed suffering should be avoided at all costs. Jesus says, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? It is God who is in control, not you, of everything that happens to you and everything that happens to everybody else and everything that happens in the world. And he is a personal, the personal God who knows you and your needs and he knows them personally. And that's not the end of the comfort. Not only does God personally know what you need, and not only does he have the power to meet those needs, 
He loves you. Not only is he all-knowing and all-powerful, he wields his omniscience and his omnipotent power to provide for you because he is your father and you're his child and he loves you. Look at the, Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. I mean, birds are just the worst at retirement plans. And, and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And he talks about the flowers. And the flowers, even though, even though they don't toil and spin, and even though they're not even here on this earth that long, look at how God beautifully clothes them and provides for them. This nature stuff, with Jesus, this, this stuff that uh, Jesus is bringing, it, it's a kind of argument called from the lesser to the greater. It is not, it is not supposed to be taken in the sense of, sometimes people take it in the sense of like, yeah, birds and flowers, those are dumb. Like, who, who cares about birds and flowers? It's people. God really cares about people. That's what Jesus, that's, no, that, that kind of thinking actually upends what Jesus is saying here. That doesn't help. Jesus is saying God loves birds. Like, he created birds to rule the sky. The bird is a majestic creation. And then, like, the aerodynamic, everything that goes into what a bird, it's incredible. And then you think of all the different kinds of birds. Most people probably have a general appreciation uh, for birds. And then there are bird lovers. I know a bird lover who, who buys binoculars and books and, and books trips to go watch birds and then keeps a journal of all the birds that he has seen. The love of bird watchers for birds does not compare to God's love for birds. The one who created those birds knows everything about every single one of his birds in creation, and he provides for them because he loves them. And horticulturalists who know their species of flowers, who can grow them and care for them, and who appreciate and enjoy their beauty more than any of us can understand, their love and enjoyment of flowers is nothing compared to the one who designed them, who gave them their perfume, who spread them all across the earth. And, Jesus is saying, if God loves his birds and his flowers and he provides for them, how much more the needs of people who bear his image will he knowingly and powerfully and lovingly provide. The stuff of uh, God loves you and you're valuable, it sounds like the same old, same old. That stuff sounds like what everybody, you know, believes today. Well, everybody believes that stuff about God today since Jesus. Like on this side of history, that's what people believe about God because of Jesus. But imagine what it would have been like for a Gentile to hear Jesus say this stuff and imagine what it would have been like for a Jew to hear Jesus say this stuff, not just about Jews, but also about Gentiles. Our church historians, they, they tell us this idea that God knows about your daily needs and he cares about your daily needs and he can do something about your daily needs because this God loves you and that you're valuable to him, that nothing can take that away not even the scarcity of your most basic needs itself, uh, that, that, that even that scarcity that you may experience of your most basic needs, that doesn't mean God doesn't love you. 
that you're not valuable to him, that would have been absolutely foreign to Greek, Gentile, Roman, Gentile ears. And it would have been foreign to Jewish ears to hear somebody say that about Gentiles. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And that's how he ends. And it's a good ending because what, that, what, what none of this means is that you should, it doesn't mean, what he's not saying there is you shouldn't give responsible attention to the things that are coming up in the future. Like this is kind of the so what applicable, really applicable stuff here. Like, but worry it doesn't mean you shouldn't give responsible attention to things that are coming up. But worry is not the same thing as responsible concern. Worry is that thing of not taking action it's fretting on negative outcomes rather than working toward positive solutions when a problem arises. What this means is, what this does mean is that you are free to face today. You're free to refocus your energies on today, not about what may or may not come tomorrow. Because today does come with its own troubles. Jesus' comfort is not a pass to lazily sit around all day thinking, well, God's going to come home and make dinner for me. This is not an excuse to be lazy. It's not an excuse uh, to not work. He's telling us, work responsibly. Okay, and, 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 and we can get that. And, and we can go off on all kinds of, and, and, and you can go read about all kinds of, like, how do I make the best use of my day and my time? When's the best time to, like, you know, use this part of my brain in the day and this part of, you know, my brain in the day. When do I start drinking coffee? You're supposed to wait an hour and a half, supposedly. You can go look all that stuff up and, like, yeah, how, how are you going to go about today? Sure, for sure. But, and, uh, we, we, we can get all that, and this seems, this still seems, you read this last verse, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. That seems like such a Debbie Downer way to end this passage on comfort in the face of worries. Because, you know, don't you get sufficient for today is its own trouble. It's coming. And then, and then you got to remember, uh, is your life not more than food and clothing? That was said at the beginning. And then Jesus comforts us about providing for our most basic needs. But that was a big qualifier at the beginning, and for everything that follows that he says. And at the end, that is supposed to still be ringing in your ears. It's not a throwaway line. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Because we might face a scarcity of resources in our lives. You might have less food than you like. You might not have the clothes that you want. And Jesus says you are still loved. You might have food and you might have clothing in, in abundance, in an overabundance. But, but, everybody, those who have and those who don't, you still need something else even more. Your life is more than food. Your life is more than clothing. Your physical needs are not the only true thing about you. You are actually more than your most basic needs because 
Your life is more than food and clothing. You have an even greater need than the most basic necessities of this life. Because those basic necessities, those will not sustain you forever. Have all the food, all the clothing you want, those will not sustain you forever. You have an even greater, most basic need. You need the kingdom of God. You need heaven. You need to live forever. That's your most basic need, and that's what you're supposed to be seeking. Seek the kingdom of God, and to get that kingdom, you need grace. In in this life, we have not arrived. No one has arrived, not the most successful people in history, no one alive today, no one in this life on this earth has arrived. For everyone, the day is full of trouble. And you are going to worry. You're going to worry. And remember, yes, this is, this is a command. This is the command section of the Sermon on the Mount. This is the command section of the new covenant that Jesus is giving to his church. But this is not a threat. This is not, don't, don't you worry. Like, don't, don't, you better not. Because too many Christians have heard that, have heard this stuff with like, have heard this command with shame. And they've been shamed by it because what Christians do here is if you're worrying or if you're afraid, you're not being faithful. You're not being spiritual. You're disobeying the law of God. When Jesus says don't fear, don't worry because your heavenly father is with you, it is a word of comfort. It's like a parent comforting their child when they're scared of thunder when they're scared of lightning, when they have a nightmare and they run to their mom and dad and the parent says, don't worry, I'm here. Mommy's here, daddy's here, don't worry. Don't be afraid. And never ever has a child then looked up and said, oh, oh, don't worry. <laughs> that's right, that's right. And you are here. I just, man, silly me. Okay, that all makes sense. Okay, good night, Father. Good night, Mother. They don't say that. And when they don't say that, and they're still scared, you don't say, hey, 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 I told you. I commit, that was a command. Don't worry. No, we don't, like, we don't. Maybe in our worst moments, and you're not sleeping. You're like, but no, the right thing is, we comfort them, and we say, I know you're scared. I'm going to take care of you. I've got you. Oh, you, when Jesus says, oh, you of little faith, it sounds like a rebuke. Because it is a rebuke. It is a correcting by Jesus to us, and it's meant to be comforting. And it's meant to be calming, not shaming. It actually can't be shaming. Because Jesus could have said, O you of little faith, will he not much more condemn you for your little faith? Will he not much more cast you out? O you of little faith, will he not much more reject you for your constant worrying and doubting and anxiety for your lack of trusting? He could have said that. But that's not what Jesus said. What he said was full of grace. 
Because what he said was, oh, you of little faith, how much more will he clothe you? Uh, one little story here at the end. Back in World War II, there was a Polish soldier named uh, Witold Pilecki. When Poland failed to stop the invasion of the German army and the Nazis came in, uh, he continued, uh, Pilecki continued to fight with the Polish resistance from inside occupied Poland. And he volunteered to let himself be captured by the occupying Germans in order to infiltrate the Auschwitz concentration camp. And at Auschwitz, he organized a, resistant mo a resistance movement from within. That it, uh, it eventually, it included hundreds of inmates, and he secretly drew up reports detailing German atrocities and war crimes at the camp, which were then smuggled out, out to the home army, the Polish home army uh, headquarters, and shared with the Western allies. Why would someone do that? Because the resistance, the Western allies did not know for certain what was going on in these camps. They needed it on record. And Pilecki, he could not know for certain what it would cost him to enter into that unknown danger. But it did cost him beatings, tortures, and in the end, execution. Okay, the Son of God comes down from his kingdom in heaven knowing the danger we are facing. Infinitely greater trouble than anything we can see in our day to day. He sees it. He knows it. And to help us, to save us, he knows exactly what it'll cost him. It'll cost him his life. It'll cost him his death. It'll cost him the wrath of justice. To provide for what we really need, to give us this eternal kingdom, he knowingly, takes our eternal condemnation. Loved ones, you are going to worry today and you're going to worry tomorrow as you seek this kingdom. And with his grace, oh, you of little faith, he will provide for your today and for your forever. Let's pray. Father, with that, we, uh, we simply ask for our daily bread that you would provide for today, that you would provide as you have promised for tomorrow. Uh, and with, with that ask, uh, Father, we, we also petition you, beg you, thy kingdom come. And thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we want you to come back. We want you to bring your kingdom. We pray that you would bless us to seek it today, seeking your grace that we have in Jesus Christ and holding it out to each other and holding it out to those who are perishing without it in order that they too might have your kingdom. Father, preserve us in this faith today, tomorrow, as long as you might wait uh, to call us home or to bring your kingdom. And uh, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you'll look here to this table, this table is the visible proclamation of the gospel. You can see it.